It's the season of fall. How many of you are dedicated fall lovers? You love everything fall. You love the leaves. You love everything pumpkin spice, all the desserts. You love Thanksgiving. You love this all the colors of the leaves. I remember some years ago, I was visiting my friends in uh, Canada, and I remember about this time of the year, the leaves began to change, and it was the most beautiful fall color leaves I had ever seen in my life. So beautiful, bright, and colorful. And it's amazing that God can make something so beautiful out of something that is actually dying and going through a cycle. And I love this season. I love the season that it, it is and helps us to prepare for the most wonderful season of all. That's Christmas right around the corner. But it's fall season. It's autumn. This is the season. And this is also the season known as harvest season. Harvest season because this is the season of corn. This is the season of pumpkins. This is the season of all the wonderful things and the preparing preparations for the winter. All of the harvests are being brought in. So before a cold winter and making preparations for this, this new season that we're about to enter in. And the season of harvest is a lovely season because it teaches us the joys of abundance. It teaches us the joys of blessings and the things that God has given us. It's a harvest season. Harvest is a good season. It's a season to rejoice and be happy. Many of us decorate our homes with pumpkins or you paint pumpkins or whatever you might do. You eat pumpkins, pumpkin pie, pumpkin spice this, pumpkin spice that. They even have pumpkin spice cereal now. Every type of pumpkin spice, they have it. And it's the season of harvest. But you know, the Bible talks about harvest as well. And Jesus specifically talks about harvest. And harvest is an important part of the spiritual life, and it's an important part of the mission of the church, and it's an important part of who we are as believers. And so today we're going to read a section of Scripture from Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus talks about harvest. And he helps paint the, or helps his followers and he helps his disciples to see the importance of harvest and what harvest means. And you're soon going to discover that what Jesus was talking about was not pumpkins and corns and things we put on our Thanksgiving tables, but the harvest that he's talking about is the harvest of souls. And so we're going to read this morning in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. We'll pause there for a moment. It's an important part of this story is that before we read our next text here, it's an important part to see the ministry of Jesus alive. See the ministry of Jesus in action. Here is Jesus going about from city to city, curing every disease and every sickness. And the Bible says he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now for us in our context today, we're, we're kind of conditioned to the gospel because we kind of have a culture of going to church and it's kind of embedded in us in a little bit. But we kind of lose the value of what was happening in this context here because here is a moment where these people have been waiting for years and years and years for their Messiah. And now he's here and they see him in action proclaiming the gospel, healing sicknesses, healing disease, wonders before their eyes. And for those who were not skeptics, for those who were not Pharisees and Sadducees, this was a joy at sight. For them, this felt like harvest season in a way in their own sense that our Messiah is here. 
However, what Jesus was about to do was to turn their eyes a different direction. The Bible says in verse 36 that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This morning, I want to talk to you about looking to the harvest, looking to the harvest. This scripture here is an important scripture, and really it's one that Matthew kind of sets apart more than the other Gospels do, although the other Gospels do mention harvest in some way. But Matthew sets the stage here about this picture of Jesus and about the message of the harvest, and he does this before this great chapter of Matthew chapter 10, which I encourage you to read sometime. And this is the chapter where Jesus is about to send out the disciples in an incredibly compelling chapter of the Bible. But this, he sets the stage here for harvest. And he sets the stage here and points their eyes to look to the harvest. However, what's very interesting about this story in the context is that we get what is one of the most privileged looks. We get an insight into the emotional response of Jesus. And you know what one of the wonderful things I love is that oftentimes the gospel writers will include how Jesus responded or the way he reacted. And there is nothing more humbling. There is nothing more genuine and then to see our Lord in action, to see his emotions come alive in this moment. And this is what the Bible says here as it happens. As he says here in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I've noticed over the past uh, year or so of reading the Bible, I've kind of made it a habit to always note where is the crowd in the story? What's happening with the crowd? And it's always fascinating, the insights that come from this. But this insight is especially beneficial for us because we see here how Jesus looks at the crowd and how he acknowledges their condition. And the Bible says that he has compassion on them. And you know, it's always good of us to investigate the original language. And this is one of those times that it's really important to investigate. What does this really mean in the original Greek language? And this is one of those words that we do not have in English, but in Greek is a very powerful word, a very emotional word. And that's that word for, commotion, or for compassion. And this word for compassion really is almost invoking a sense of a, a gut response. It means almost to have a sense of the insides yearning. It's from this deep place within there is this yearning. It's almost conveying this sense that there is this idea that Jesus has actually been moved because of the response within. Some have translated this as the idea of his heart went out. It's more than how we might have compassion in our culture and we kind of think we look at somebody and we have pity on their situation. But Jesus, his compassion went, came from a deep place within that invoked a sense of response. It was a gut response. And that's what you're going to discover today as we're reading this this morning is that God's compassion kindles his love towards us and the world. 
And that's what I hope we will all walk away remembering today is that God's compassion kindles His love towards us and the world. But may we never underestimate what God's compassion means. That doesn't mean that God sits on a throne and He just looks at us and feels sorry for us. No, God's compassion invoked His love towards us so much so, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. There was a sense of compassion that looked at creation and said, I must respond, I must help them. And this is exactly how Jesus begins to describe this crowd. And this morning, I want us to understand the condition of the crowd because if we are going to look to the harvest of the world, we have to know what is the status, what is the condition of the world. And you're going to see here is that Jesus makes an interesting transition as he starts talking about the flock and then he makes a transition to talking about the field. And we're going to talk about the flock first because it tells us the condition of the crowd. He tells them the sheep were, or the people, he looked at them, he had compassion on them because they were harassed. And this word harassed really invokes a sense that means they were defeated. If you really get into this and try to unravel what it means, it really means this, to be mangled and thrown to the ground is what it literally means. It's this idea of a sheep being attacked by a predator and being mangled and thrown to the ground. And that's what Jesus said when he looked at the crowd. He said, it looks like they've been defeated. It looks like they've been torn apart by the ravages of sin. And here they are, they're missing the shepherd who would defend them. They're harassed. They've been thrown to the ground. Their condition is hurting. Their condition is in pain. Their condition is suffering because they don't know the Lord. And so he invokes a sense of showing them they are harassed. The second thing he tells them is they are defenseless. He says they are harassed and helpless. And helpless means this. It means to be defenseless. It means to be without a guard. And you and I know if you have, a, have ever seen sheep before, a sheep, they don't have a defense mechanism. They don't have a way to fight other than run. And as long as they run until that predator catches up with them, that's the end of their run. They are defenseless. And this is exactly how Jesus described the condition of the crowd, is they are defeated and defenseless. And it's an important thing for you and I when we, our eyes are being realigned to look to the harvest, the harvest of souls, which is the world, that we understand that our world is harassed and helpless. And I've noticed that sometimes when, oftentimes when we forget that our world is lacking the gospel, they're lacking the salvation of Jesus Christ, when they're missing that, and we overlooked the fact that the crowd is harassed and helpless, it sometimes causes us to become calloused to the condition of the world. And in a way, it causes us to almost keep it at arm's length as if though we won't be involved in that. But it's important to see that the because Jesus saw the condition of the crowd, his, God's compassion, it kindled his love towards them. And this was an important part of what was about to happen next. The third thing that Jesus described about this crowd is he said they're harassed and they're helpless. And then he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. If you go back and you look in this ancient times, sheep without a shepherd was quoted in the Old Testament a few times. And every time this message was given, it was always in reference to the people of Israel in their wandering state. 
They would go about their own means and own lives without a purpose. Wandering means to be amiss with no purpose. And that was exactly their lives. So here they are, the Bible shows us, they are defeated, they're defenseless, and they are what I'm going to call deceived. They think that they can keep going without a shepherd. They think their lives are okay without the leadership of a shepherd, which really this is pointing to the picture of Jesus. Numbers 27, 17 uses this similar language talking about sheep without a shepherd. And it talks about Moses looking before the people and saying there's no one to bring them in and lead them out as far as coming into the temple. But yet he appointed Joshua to be the one who would work on their behalf. And this is the picture of Jesus is supposed to be the shepherd of our souls. He is the one intended to lead us. He is the one intended to lead our world to a greater pasture, to an eternal pasture, a safe dwelling place, the kingdom of God. But without him, we are defeated. We are defenseless and we are deceived. And isn't that the work of the enemy to leave us deceived? And that's the work of the enemy is to deceive the world thinking they can keep going without a shepherd going above them. But we have to understand that what Jesus was describing was the condition of all of humanity. That this shows us that man and woman is depraved. Meaning we're fallen people. We're defeated. We're defenseless. We're deceived. And without the Bible says, without this, as Peter says, the bishop, the chief shepherd of our souls, we have no direction into life. We have no abundance. We have no defense mechanism. We have no truth. We have no protector over us. And we are hurting, and as Jesus said, like sheep without a shepherd. It shows us that these are the conditions of man and the conditions of our world apart from God as the shepherd of our souls. But however, this isn't to cause us to leave here today and feel a sense of, wow, this is sad. It's sad that our world is defeated and and defenseless and deceived. These conditions are intended as the same response that Jesus had. If for a moment you and I today can understand the condition of the crowd, And we can understand that they're harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Perhaps the same gut reaction that Jesus had would come up inside of us. And that is really the intention for Jesus explaining this to them and showing them they are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved with compassion. And what the Bible is trying to do is help us understand the condition of the world so that you and I would be moved with this same sense of compassion. Not a sense of compassion that looks from a distance and feels pity. The sense of compassion that Jesus had that was coming from deep within. His heart moved and wanted to do something about it. The truth is, is that real compassion has a conviction that causes action. Real compassion has a conviction that causes action. And that was exactly what Jesus demonstrated here because then he goes goes into pray the prayer next and really as we leave this next we'll go to the next verse it's important for us to remember today let us not become conditioned to the condition of man that we lose sight of the need of the gospel in our world 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I look and I feel like our world is in such a devastating state and it's almost in a sense, what can I do about it? How can I help in such a thing that feels overwhelming at times? But here Jesus begins to paint a picture that even though it is depraved, they're deceived, they're defenseless, and they're defeated, that there is an answer to that need. And he begins to go into this once again. We see God's compassion kindles his love towards us and the world and it should kindle our love too. So the next verse says this, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now when you read this verse right here in the context of this moment in time, there, this was a true statement. The laborers were definitely few because it was Jesus and maybe John the Baptist. And, but he was setting up the stage for the disciples. But now this, the verse really is a verse that still proves true to our world today. And you think, well, there's so many missionaries, there's so many ministers and pastors and people, lay people out in the world doing the work. But the thing is, is that if we can look at our world and we can see that there is still a need for the gospel, then that still suggests that the laborers are few and we still have a response to the world to share the gospel with the world. So he tells them, he, he paints the picture for them. He shows them the flock. Of, he shows them the flock, the people of God, their condition, their fallen. And then he goes and he shows them the field of the world. And really, this is a good verse. This is an exciting verse because Jesus gives them a promise. It's abundant. It's ready. It's plentiful. This signifies this world of opportunity, of ready to share the gospel. The souls that are ready to come to the knowledge and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so he teaches the disciples three things to help them respond to the crowd. And the first thing he teaches them is he says, The harvest is plentiful. There is nothing more joyful, there is nothing more exciting than when a farmer goes out into their land. You can look at it in the Old Testament times, read through the Ruth, read through the Bible, see their stories, how when they would go out for harvest, it was an exciting moment. It was a life-giving moment because it was a sign of readiness. It was a sign that the example that there is a blessing here. This is a moment we have been blessed by God and the moment is now. It's a sense of readiness and open doors. I think about the abundance of harvest when I think about this, uh, this review we got. And I still don't know who this person is, but someone sent us a message lately and told us how they were out at a restaurant and how they, they were, had a medical incident, but someone from this church, I still don't know who it is, stopped and prayed with them. And they were so moved by that that they sent us a message. And that reminded me, and it shows us the proof that our world has an abundance of harvest, always ready to hear, ready for hope. If there's anything that our world needed right now, isn't it hope? Isn't it the hope and love and life that comes from Jesus Christ? There is truly an abundance of harvest. There is a sense of readiness. The second thing he tells them is this. He says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few. Jesus only here in this text can personally encounter only a small number. So he will commission his followers to reach the rest of the world. But even then, many more will be needed. Does anybody know the population of the world today? I don't know the exact number, but I know it's 
way in the billions, billions and billions, and growing by the day, growing, growing, growing. And as our world grows and as our population grows, as our world changes and transforms, there will continue to be a need for the gospel in the world. And this verse right here has been really the verse that people have read over the past hundreds of years, especially the past 200 years, that has moved them in such a way when the, they read this, they says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, that they raised their hand, they stood up and they said, we will give our lives to go and preach the gospel. Send us, use us, we are ready to go, we are willing to go. But the need still remains as urgent as ever with billions who have not heard the gospel or seen this. And it still remains the same even as God would call to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's, the call still remains and the call still remains to us today to look to the harvest. The harvest is around us. The harvest is ready. The harvest is not the responsibility of missionaries and pastors alone. It's the responsibility of the church of Jesus Christ. And if you and I today claim ourselves as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have a part in reaching the harvest, in reaping the harvest. It's time now more than ever. Jesus goes on to use a word here, and he says, The laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is another one of those words that when you uncover it, to send out is a word that implies a strong action. It's not this kind of pat on the shoulder. We hope it goes well. God bless you as you go and do your ministry. No, this word implies a sense of action and force. Sending out by force pushing them almost in a way by giving them this kind of uh, supernatural help to be sent out. In a way, I almost understand this, and this is the way I personally interpreted this, was that this is Jesus' idea of showing them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That type of power compels a force to be sent out into the harvest. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to paint their eyes to, is that he will send out laborers by his strength, by his power. And so lastly, the thing he brings here to their attention is he says, this is interesting to me. He says, pray or ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Now, you would think if here's Jesus talking about the crowd, here talking about the condition of the world, you would think he would tell them go in this moment. You would think that he would tell them Go, preach the gospel in this moment. You would think this is where the Great Commission would step in. You would think that this would be where Jesus would say, just go preach, just go do that. However, the Lord paints their attention to come and pray to the Lord of the harvest. And this is an important part for us to understand because harvest was an Old Testament picture of blessing. When harvest came, it was a sign of God's blessing. And it shows us that the immediate and explicit response here is to pray for people who will reap the harvest, to pray and ask the Lord. The first call to action was to pray. 
Last week we talked about in need of revival. And this text is certainly the prelude to revival. Because it is only God who appoints and calls and sins. And this is what leads every laborer to go into the harvest. Is their own personal moment of realization and call that I have been sent forth into all of the world to preach the gospel to all people. And it happens through prayer. It's also important to note that the Bible says that he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He called him, he said, don't just pray to God, don't just pray to the Lord, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And this is important to understand because the Lord of the harvest would have been the one who was controlling every, all the actions of the field. He would have said, you go to this place, this plot of land, you use this instrument, you do this over here. And this is exactly the image that Jesus is trying to convey in this great thing of the harvest of the world that is ready right now. It is God who places, appoints, and puts people in the body of Christ exactly where they need to be so that there we could all reap a harvest of of the Lord, unto, of souls unto the Lord. It's only the Lord who sins. It's only the Lord who appoints. So therefore, the first step is to pray. Ask God, Lord, send us. Show us. Lead us. Help us. Lord, send laborers. Send people who have a sense of call, who are compelled to action. Because a person who has a sense of call, a person who has a sense of action, it doesn't matter what type of obstacle they face when they know the Lord of the harvest has sent me. They are determined to fulfill that role. And they understand that God's compassion kindles his love towards us and the world, and it kindles my love too. So therefore, I'm going into the harvest. I want to ask the musicians to come. Harvest, don't get it wrong. It's a good thing. It's a joyful thing. It's exciting. It's life-giving. There's nothing greater. It's a, it's a moment of joy, abundance. But harvest means work. Harvest means that you and I, as God's laborers, as God's people, we've got to put our hands to work. We've got to pray, Lord, how do we go? Send forth laborers. Harvest means work. But it also means reward. And the reward is sharing in the joys of God's goodness being declared in the earth. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful when you and I turn the news on and we see all the devastating things that happens, but yet we find out maybe through a message or somehow that somebody you've been trying to talk to, they find the joy of Jesus in their life. That's exciting. In a world of darkness, that's exciting. And that's good news. And that's the good news of the gospel. Are you willing today to look to the harvest, to put your eyes, my eyes, to the conditions of the world? And if so, if that's you and I today, for a moment, if we look and we see the condition of the world is harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, does it capture a moment of God's compassion? Do you get a sense of God's heart for a moment? If you think about all the things that are happening in our world, all the things, they're defeated, they're defenseless, they're deceived, and you look at the world, doesn't that give you a sense of how God's heart yearns for the world? How he sees the world, but yet how he knows the gospel is good news? And so therefore, pray, God send forth labor, his compassion, kindles his love towards us and the world. Proverbs 10.5 says this, A child who gathers in summer is prudent, but a child who sleeps in harvest 
brings shame. You and I today, we're not supposed to be the child who sleeps in harvest. We're supposed to be the child who partakes of reaping a harvest. Will you stand with me this morning? Just right where you're at today, would you close your eyes with me for a moment? And can we do what Jesus taught us to do? Can we pray to the Lord of the harvest, the one who's in control? Oh, the fields, they are white as snow. They are ready. It could be your neighbor. It could be your coworker. It could be you today. It could be that family member. It could be that person that you live with. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful. Don't underestimate God's word. When he says the harvest is plentiful, he means it right now, today. And so this morning, would you join me as we pray? Ask the Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers. Send me, Lord. Use me. Use my life. And maybe that's you today. You need to experience and encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, the harvest is plentiful. It's ready for you today. And so, Lord, this morning, we begin to pray, Lord, to the Lord of the harvest. It's harvest season, Lord. And what an exciting thing, Lord, to look and see all of the world that is ready. It's, it's moment right now today. But Lord, what a shame, God, when there is a harvest, but there's no one to go and reap the harvest. So Lord, today we call upon you, Father, and we pray this morning, Lord of the harvest, the ones who's in control, who calls and appoints and sends, we pray, Lord of the harvest, would you send us? Put us exactly where we need to be. Give us moments of conversation with co-workers and friends that we needed, Lord. Open doors for us to share the gospel, Lord. Open doors for us as a church, Lord, that we might make your glory known in all of the earth, Lord. Help us today, Lord, to look to the harvest, Lord. To put our eyes upon the fields, Lord. To be always reminded, Lord, we must work while it is day, for night is coming when no man can work. Help us, Lord, to work, Lord to serve, to be faithful to all that you're calling us to do, Lord. We pray today, Lord, send us, God. Send us today, Lord. Send us as the choir comes. I wonder if you would join me in just a prayer today that says, Lord, send me. Send me, Lord. Send us, God, into the harvest. Use my life. Help me to share your love with someone. God, help me to make your goodness known into all of the earth. Maybe you need God's love today. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. Right now, today, it's available for you. Call the hill. Ask him. As the choir sings this song, would you just pray, Lord, send me, use me, guide me, Father. Help me to go into the harvest, Lord. Use my life, Father.